You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. And welcome to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community. Again, I am Ben Wolf, and I'm happy to have everybody here today and look forward to sharing with you uh, some great information from our guest today on number one, how to turn a solopreneurship type business which is completely dependent on one's own hours and the, for the work and even the entire business and turning that into a, something scalable, a scalable business. Uh, two, we want to cover uh, overcoming personal challenges and how one uses those and leverages them as a strength towards one's own success. And then uh, also covering uh, the unique nature of the challenges that women entrepreneurs face in building their business and how they can adapt and succeed. And as always, remember to please... Uh, subscribe, leave a review. Uh, this show, it will obviously make it easier for you to access the value that we're sharing here from our guests and in the future. And as well, it'll help the uh, algorithms on whatever platform you're listening to this on, whether it's Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and uh, it'll help make that show more accessible to other people as well. And so without further ado, uh, our guest today is an artist of hand-painted glassware and giftware since 2011. She uh, is the program coordinator and recently spoke at the JWE, the Jewish Women Entrepreneur Annual Conference in May. She uh, has made it her mission to help other women entrepreneurs overcome whatever is holding them back and fulfill their own entrepreneurial dreams. Uh, she's a mentor to almost 15,000 people uh, who are her followers on Instagram, and that's where the main action is with her. You could follow her at uh, or find her at Abby Wollin. Uh, that's A-B-B-E-Y-W-O-L-I-N, at Abby Wollin on Instagram. And with that, I give you Abby Wollin. Welcome. Hi. Great to have you. And uh, so let's dive right in. So first of all... Um, so one thing, let's one thing just to give a little background and a little context is to talk about some of the challenges that you have faced, and uh, and you you've talked on online about how you lost your father when you were eleven, lost your sister um, just four years ago, you started your business in two thousand eleven, and um, you also mentioned on Instagram recently that you were struggling with an autoimmune disease and. Uh, I, I saw one interesting quote that you said when you were speaking at the Jewish Women Entrepreneur Conference that each of the challenges that you faced has become part of what propelled you forward to what you're doing today. So I guess, first of all, how, how is that? How did that happen? Wow, that's a lot of to unpack. <laughs> unpack. That's like, <laughs> that's a lot. Um. That's true. Well, we can break it up. Um, okay, so uh, let's just go back to 2011. I was a teacher. I had been a teacher for about 10 years at that time. I had originally gone to art school. And, you know, as uh, I don't have to tell you, teachers do not make a lot of money. Right, right. And um, I used to challenge myself every summer to learn a different type of craft or a different type of art. And uh, that summer, I decided to teach myself how to paint on glass, believe it or not. And I decided, I took all of the stuff that I had created and I, right. br I brought it to Long Beach. They have like these uh, crafts on the, craft shows on the beach, on the, on the boardwalk. boardwalk. Yeah. Um, and after that day, I completely sold out, completely. Like I brought my stuff to the beach, sold out, and I thought, hmm, 
Maybe I have something here. Yeah. And then I, um, I started doing the shul circuit, you know, um, before the holidays, oh, before Sukkot, before Shabbos. And- yeah. Yeah. And at one of those shows, one of, um, one of the stores in Five Towns, Breezy's, found me and said, hey, have you ever thought about wholesaling? And I was like, well, what's that? Um, and you know, between her and a couple other stores, they really taught me the business of how to actually, you know, mark up the pieces and just the mechanics of like really growing a business. Um, and I think that what I, what I, um, what I experienced growing my business is what every single Jewish woman out there, a lot of them who start a side hustle, who have like a real, like a real quote unquote job where they're getting a paycheck and it's not covering the amount of expenses that are happening. Like let's face it, today's day and age, most women need two jobs or they need one good job. That's really going to pay them a lot because tuition is expensive. Food is expensive. Clothing is expensive. You know, society living a Jewish lifestyle is not cheap anymore. Right. Well, just be clear. Our audience is all kinds of people oh, all over the country. <laughs> but, uh, but, the demographic but, but, that I mostly talk being, to. Yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, it's an expensive life and a lot of people can relate to that. Uh, so what I found was, is, is that most women who choose a lot of the women that I speak to, a lot of my demographic of women that I help, um, are women that had a job, they thought to themselves, hey, I need to bring in an extra $1,000 or $2,000. They did not have the proper education. They do not know how to actually grow a real successful business. They don't mm-hmm. understand what a P&L sheet is. They don't understand how to wholesale or how to retail. They don't understand how to price their value of what they're offering. Um, basic mechanics of growing a business, things that I had to learn through mentorship, finding a good mentor. Um, these are things that I'm noticing are lacking. Right. And if I can mitigate some of that loss, if I could help other women grow their businesses um, and give them that education and through what I went through, that's everything to me. I want to help women grow their businesses because I experienced a lot of stuff because of my lack of knowledge or education. I wasn't, I, I was a teacher. I wasn't supposed to know how to grow a business. I was an right. employee. Um, and I feel very, very strongly um, that if we open up a little bit and we sh- pu- pull the, the curtain back a little bit, there is so much knowledge that each of us know and, uh, and we're a sisterhood. And I feel like it's... Um, I feel it almost like my duty to help other women. Right. Well, there's definitely something actually I wanted to get to even 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 <laughs> later on, but since we're talking about it, I mean, I want to come back to using challenges and how that helps propel one forward. But we'll get back to that in a minute okay. because uh, because I, I think it is so important. You're, what you're talking about here. Well, actually, let's let's step back on the same topic that you're talking about now, just to understand something better. And and I asked, you know, we had a we had a guest on. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, uh, Rachel Bider, who you know, who 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 also does a lot of uh, entre- you know mentorship with with female entrepreneurs, and built up a uh, built up a massage therapy practice from just herself at the beginning to Amazing. ultimately dozens and dozens and dozens of therapists over several locations uh, in uh, in Brooklyn and now Queens, and. Um, you know, I asked her this question also, but I want to I want to ask you as well, and then we'll get to I, I want to hear more about 
how like how can women learn this learn this stuff that you're talking about and it's not just women. i mean a lot of the stuff applies to men too but uh what are uh, but on a more fundamental level what is different about women entrepreneurs maybe as opposed to men or is there anything different are there any special challenges or things that are distinct uh, that you find make that make it more challenging for them than it would be for a male entrepreneur for whatever reason okay so i think i in my opinion i think that women specifically um, and I've seen this over and over and over again, that women are, not only are they creative, but they're innovative. And they can come up with really incredible solutions within a certain demographic or a certain industry. And not only that, but because um, women in general multitask, like, you know, I always say I always have a multiple browsers open in my head. Mm-hmm. We're always multitasking, right? We're making dinner, talking to a phone, right. dealing with carpal, all at the same time that we're doing all these different things. It's very easy for us to just add another thing on our plate. The problem, the problem that I find is that when women do not have a clear plan and they don't have the proper education, then what ends up happening is, is they get on something called the hamster wheel from hell because they're basically just shooting off, they're always in emergency mode. And what I found very often is that women get into things because they're passionate about them. They love what they're doing. They have a hobby or they have something that they're good at, like the bakers. You know how many women I speak to all day long who make really great cookies. So they're like, hey, well, my friend just asked me for cookies for the Simcha. Maybe I can make this into a business. And they become super, they're super creative, super innovative. They don't understand how to price their value. Right. They don't know how to figure out how to figure out all their fixed costs and their variable costs. And therefore, what ends up happening is, is that they just start, which, by the way, is the most amazing thing. Is First of all. Dis- is, that, is what you're describing distinct from what, what men entrepreneurs have? I think men come at it very systematically and women come... Th- come into business very emotionally. And I think that what's amazing about women is that they jump in. I think that there's very little, some women are more scared of risk. I will give you that. But at at the end of the day, women are led by their emotions and their passion. And most men, when I sit down, if I ask them, where's your PNL sheet, they'll show it to me. If I ask a woman, how much do you need to make every month? They're like, what? How do I figure that out? And I'm like, whoa, wait, you don't know how much money you actually need to make every month? Like, let's create a profit goal, right? And they're like, what does that mean? And it's not that they don't know. It's that if they tell me I need $2,000 a month, but I tell them, another woman says, but I need $4,000 a month, does that mean that the person that needs more money is more valuable or more higher in society? Women, money to them is an emotional response. Where men, it's like, well, one plus one equals two, and that's my profit. Women, it's not like that at all. You're, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. No, I'm just I, it's it. Women are like, but what if, like, if but if it's at that price, will they pay for it? What will they do? I'll give you a good, a good, um, a really good story. You ready for this one? Okay. Last night, I get a I get a message on my Instagram uh, DM, and the question was this. Oh my God, I'm obsessed with the butterfly picture, right? Because I'm a, I, I paint glass. I'm obsessed with the butterfly picture. I must have it. I say, great. Here's the link to the website. Um, enjoy, right? Like, right. buy it. Go buy right? it. Go buy it. She then sends me a message. Okay. She then sends me a message and she says, Oh my, oh wow. I didn't realize that it's that much money. Can I ask you? And I don't mean this to be, you know, mean, but why does it cost so much? I then say to myself, hmm, 
I wonder who this is, let me see. And I realized that the woman who's sending me a message is also a fellow artist. Uh -huh. So I say to myself, hmm, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to educate. Right, a teaching moment. So I say to her, I say, can I ask you a question? I'm like, oh, she said, by the way, she had said in her message, it is gorgeous and it's beautiful and it's absolutely stunning, but why does it cost so much? So I responded to her, so it's beautiful and it's gorgeous, but it's not worth that value. And I use that, you know, the emoji with like, you know, the eyebrow up, you know, like asking right. her a question. And she sends me back. She goes, oh, lol, I didn't mean to, like, offend you. But, like, I would never pay, like, $165 for a picture. So I'm not really understanding why you would make it at that price. So then I write back to her and I say, I'm going to reframe this for you. I say, you're right. If you wanted a $20 picture, you can go to HomeGoods or go to Amazon or even go to Amazing Savings and get one for $3.99. But if I was going to sell you a one-of-a-kind piece of hand-painted art on a canvas and I told you that that canvas was $165, you would think that it's too cheap. You would think, why is it so inexpensive? It must not be hand-painted and it must not be one of a kind. But because I did the hand-painting on a picture, it's not worth that value. And she, she writes back, she goes, wow, I never really thought of it that way before. And she's like, I'm an artist myself. And I wish I could sell one of my pieces at that high. Right. Okay. So it's a matter of just reframing it for people saying, mm -hmm. listen, you're not buying the picture at $165 because you're buying a picture. You're buying my 10 years of experience. You're buying right. all of the time and all of the effort that it took me to actually make that design and learn that craft. I also want to just um, say one other thing, by the way, because uh -huh. you mentioned, you know, all the things that I had gone through in my life. Um, what you spoke about at the conference, I was very interested in, in what you meant by that. And I think that um, I think that when something bad happens to people, there's three natural responses. One is something bad happened, and I could sit on my stoop and I could cry about it for the rest of my life and feel sorry for myself. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you know people like that. And then there are people who say, "Well, bad things happen to me." So the world owes me. And those people are pretty much entitled. You know people like that too, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. The last person that, that's in there, and by the way, there are lots of different types of responses, but the last one that's most common is they say, despite these things that happened to me, I am not going to let it get, down, get me down and I'm going to make something of myself. And that has been my response from the beginning. I am not going to allow the things that have happened to me to break me and to get me down because it's because of those things that I am who I am. It's what, it's what happened in my past that propels me for my future. You know that um, in high school, um, I, I actually, I never tell the story. So you're getting a, a, a good story here. Um, in high school was a social experience for me. I never, um, my parents... When they got married, my mother, I was raised by Siaco, very religious. And when my mother married my stepfather, um, they decided that they were going to be more modern Orthodox. So my mother stopped covering her hair. They all wore pants. Like everybody, like choose, choose your own adventure. Okay. That was what it was. Okay. Not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just telling you that was my life. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
So, yeah, a, lot, a lot of technical Orthodox informa- <laughs> Orthodox Jewish information here. So Sorry. <laughs> essentially, grew up in a in a you know kind of in a more right wing Orthodox environment, and then your family made a transition to be more how, liberal. How, how old were you? Thirteen. Okay. So all right. So at that stage, going to become more liberals, stopping to keep certain things, or becoming more lenient on certain practices. Okay, go ahead. So my high school experience. Um, I went to a local, I went to Hank, which is a local high school that has right. boys and girls in the same school. Like it okay. wasn't just. Sounds very scandalous. Very scandalous. Our, our, one of our daughters actually <laughs> goes there now. Oh, really? okay. It's a great Hebrew, school. Hebrew Academy, Nassau County. We love it. it. It's a fantastic school. Okay. So I went to Hank and um, in the school, you know, um, for me, my ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, it was all about just social. It was a social experience. I was, you know, now I can look back and say, hey, I had learning disabilities and I just, but but at the time, like, I was just surviving. I was just trying to survive in a really bad environment. Like, we were just, you know, it was like, it was, he had children, we had children, we got together, like, my mother and him got together. It was really, really hard. It wasn't, it wasn't so easy. It was, I call it the Brady Bunch from hell. It was hard. It was three years of trying to learn how to navigate a new life. I moved from California to New York. Um, these were my high school years. Um, everything changed for me. Now I can say, by the way, looking back, by the way, I could just say going forward, they're my best friends. My siblings, all of us were all so close. Right. So it's all right. So it's a, it's a brand new blended family. You're moving 3000 miles across the country changing sounds like changing the religious kind of nature of the household a huge amount of adjustments at the same time so okay so it's a lot it was really hard it's really hard so and on top of that school was just challenging it just wasn't it wasn't something that just came naturally to me right right. plus you mentioned learning disability whatever which i had when i was growing up i went to special school and yeah, it just wasn't easy for me. So anyway, so comes senior year, and I've, you know, through my, from ninth grade to 11th grade, I've really gotten included with a lot of good friends, and I'm in a really good place. My friends are super brilliant people, and I remember even, like, the SATs. I had no no idea what the SATs were, no clue. I remember everyone was studying for the tests. I remember, like, you know, walking into that test without a pencil, without a calculator, and I'm like, what is this? You know, like, you just imagine, right? Like, I'm so clueless. Needless to say, I did not do well. Right. Um, and now I can laugh about it because, who, like, whatever. Like, Years ago. Yeah. But at the time, I remember it feeling so bad about myself that my friends were really getting into really good colleges, and where was I going to go? And I, and I was embarrassed. And so I thought to myself, what kind of school could I go to? that I, and there was a certain amount of social pressure and I was thinking to myself, where could I go that would be on my ability as opposed to my grades? So I thought to myself, hey, I like to color. No joke, I like to color. I'll go to art school. So what do I do? I go to the principal. Now, mind you, this is not like September. This is like October. So after the holidays have happened, the Jewish holidays, right, there's a three-week break or a two-week break. I come back to school. I walk into the principal's office and I say, I need to get into the art class. And he looks at me like I'm nuts. And he says, there's no way you can get into this class. You haven't taken it in 11th grade. You're not going. And I said, you don't understand. I need to apply to art school. I showed him the application. I said, I need to have, you know, portfolio and I need to get in I have to do this. And he said, okay. I think for the first time I I showed him that I cared about something. He said, if you can get approval from the teacher, if the art teacher allows you, I, then I, then I'm okay with that. I remember distinctly going into Mrs. Gutman's classroom. I don't know if she's still there. She was an art teacher. She looked like Miss Frizzle. Like if you've ever read those books, like imagine a blonde frizzy hair, like wearing, um, 
totally like frilly dresses, you know, like bohemian. Okay. I walk into I walk into the art class. I say to her, um, "I need to get into art school. Here is the application. Can you help me create a portfolio? I would like to go." And she says, "Sure. Can I see your work?" And I say to her, "I don't have any." And she says to me, "Did you ever pick up a pencil? Have you ever painted before?" And I said to her, "No." And I telling you not without skipping a beat she said no problem i will see you in class on monday and for years okay it wasn't even just that but i'll tell you the rest of the story by the way it was in her in her art history class because i had to take that in 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 uh 12th. in 12th grade also i took right. art history i literally found myself and not only that i ended up getting into the top art school in manhattan i got into the school of visual arts and for years for years i thought it was because of her. She took a chance on me and she did take a chance on me. Right. But at the same time, if she had said no to me, I would have still figured out a way to, to apply to art school. Why? Because for the first time in my life, I cared about something and I was passionate about it. And when you read, you know, like the book Grit yeah. by Angela Duckworth, Duckworth, okay? She talks about grit, that it doesn't matter how many times somebody says no to them, if they are passionate about something, they will right. keep going. And that I think is what entrepreneurship is all about. And I think that so many often, so much, so many times, you know, along the way, I used to say this, um, I tell people, I say, keep a jar. And every time you get a no from a wholesaler or from a client or whatever it is, you, every time you get a note, put a quarter in that mason jar. And when you fill up that mason jar, go take that mason jar and go buy yourself something that you've always wanted. Take all your no's and turn that into a yes, because that is what's going, like our successes are literally at the top of the mountain of all of our failures, right? All the switchbacks and all the things, all the times that we fall. Well, that, well I mean, and that brings me to, you know, a question on what you said before, because you, you talked about how of the three approaches, like when you're going through challenges or all the no's in life, <laughs> whatever those, even outside of business and uh you know the approach is not to let it stop you but just to keep going and that's kind of what you're talking about now but you also said before and the language you used in the presentation was that it propelled you which is more than just doing it despite because you used the word despite also before i'm doing i'm doing whatever i'm doing despite the challenges or despite the failures and the bad things that have happened or that are happening but you know, at one point you said despite, but at you know, another point you're saying it also propels you forward. Correct. How how is that? Because that seems like that's a fourth that's a fourth approach of not just saying that like I'm not gonna let it stop me. But that's just okay, that I'm down neutral, so to speak. I'm just ignoring it. But it's not propelling me. It's not actually getting me at a higher place than I would have been without those challenges. So you when you say you... propelling, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it. No, you're it, like but... we should just have a therapy session, seriously. <laughs> but I'm curious if you if you do agree with 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 the idea that the challenges and, and the pain have propelled you not just that you did it anyway how how did you do that or how did it have that effect well then i think i i think that in a lot of ways it's also a matter of proving myself it's not just to myself but to everybody else you know a lot of times and i maybe it's something that i've only experienced but i think a lot of women in general experience this is is that um the disparaging remarks that I receive from men a lot of times um, that well, will maybe you should add that to the list of <laughs> disadvantages. What kind of dis disparaging marks, remarks do you mean from men? And you mean because you're a woman or just happen to be that they're men? Well, I think I think the disparaging remarks that women give you are more about like um, 
they're mean and insulting and they're and they're more out of jealousy I think women okay. in, in general like that. I think men, it's almost like they're patting you on the head and saying, oh, isn't she so cute? She has a little business. Um, okay. I remember, I'll give you an example. I remember, I remember when I hit 10K, okay? Now, 10K on Instagram is a really big deal. Okay. 10K on Instagram means that you now have the swipe up feature. A swipe up feature means I yeah, just. Thanks for explaining that because I don't know what that means. Okay, so I'm going <laughs> to explain it to you. So basically, you're trying to get a really, you know, exceptional engagement on your on your plan on your on your Instagram post right or your feed you're trying to create a community around your product or service Instagram will give you a like they basically are giving you a gift that when you get to 10,000 followers you now have a swipe up feature on stories which means that instead of saying somebody um, I'm like if let's say you're trying to sell for me it would be glassware instead of them saying hey link in bio which is an extra step this way they can just literally swipe up and get straight to the link and they can click to buy right okay. people are instant here okay for me getting that swipe up feature was very hard cultivating 10,000 unique followers and I'm not talking about buying them I'm talking about actually right. cultivating and when I say other people is that possible to do with just some bot in Russia to get to 10,000 oh yeah totally you can buy it them is possible. yeah okay. you could totally buy them um, I mean we can have a whole long conversation about Instagram yeah, no, but yeah you could totally buy them I'm okay. talking about people like you know when right. yours are real Mine are real, and there's three factors that make you create a real community around your product or service. It's the like, know, and trust factor. People, will, if they like you, if they know you, if they trust you, they will buy from you. Okay? So for me, getting to 10K was huge. What did I do? I went to uh, Party City. I bought a massive one and a massive zero, right? <laughs> Balloons. Okay. And I had a shoot. Like I had somebody come over to my house and take a picture of me holding these massive balloons. It was a, it was a huge, it is still one of my top engaged photos, right? Because everyone felt in my community, like they knew how hard I was working right, like to invested. get to that swipe up. They were right. invested. They loved it. That night or two nights later, we had a community wedding within the community. Somebody, um, somebody's daughter got married. And I remember going to the wedding and um, somebody in the community a very affluent, uh, well-respected individual in our community saw me come in, and the first thing he said was, "I'm so wow, it's so amazing! You like hit 10k? Does that make you feel so good about yourself? Like that's so awesome!" Like that, the same exact inflection. And I said to him, "I said." Can I ask you a question? Like when you got like that that deal on your table and you signed off on it and you got your like your royalty, did you feel so good about yourself? And he looked at me like I was nuts, and I looked at him like stopping, like you know, like what's Whatever, wrong with yeah. you? Like, like how could you say that to somebody? Like how could you make them feel so small? That's how he made me. He made me feel so small. Right. And my husband's like, why did you even give him the time of day? Just walk away. Right. And, and it's true. But like, it's, I get those comments all the time from men. Right. Okay. Well, that, you know, that sounds like, and that may not just be you. I mean, that sounds like that could it's, be, it, it, it has could. the potential to be discouraging. Um, and one's mindset, like, you know, Tony, Tony Robbins <laughs> always talks about how the, uh, you know, the, the, the biggest chokehold in any business is the owner's psychology. You know, so if a person has, you know, is demoralized or is discouraged by, by things outside themselves, then obviously that's whatever. It's it's just an additional challenge that to be overcome. Yeah. 
<laughs> I know. I agree with you. I yeah. just, I think that people who, and it's interesting, I will just say this, that there's like an undercurrent and or underbelly of people who feel, even like between platforms, like between Instagram and LinkedIn, where LinkedIn people feel like they're the legit businesses, right? Because they're curating on LinkedIn and Instagram is just all fluff. Right. And then you go to Instagram people and they're like, do you understand how hard it is to create an engaging audience on Instagram? I would never go on LinkedIn because I don't need it. It's just like, and I, and I think that by the way, all of it, all of it, all of it is because no one respects each other. And there's a lack of respect and a lack of education on each other's a platform and what they're doing and trying to build a business. Meaning you're looking at me like I'm like, no, no, I'm, 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 I'm linking. I'm just looking at you and thinking and, <laughs> No, so for example, like uh, for edu- for for example on 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 Instagram, for me to actually monetize my posts, right? There's a tremendous amount of work that needs to be done, right? Like I'm curating my Instagram feed is my magazine. So uh-huh. if I and it's interesting, this was a question that I asked on my on my feed yesterday was what is the difference between Instagram and Instagram feed? feed and Instagram stories. Why would I, what's the difference between the two of them? And not only that, why would I, if I'm talking to you, let's just say we don't know each other and you're like, oh, what kind of pieces do you make? And I'm not showing you my website. I'm going to show you directly my Instagram feed. Why? Because that's where I've literally curated beautiful pictures of my pieces. And it's kind of like we're dating, meaning if I go to somebody and somebody says, hey, what what kind of products do you sell or what kind of products do you make? um, I call it, I'm going on a date with them. I don't want to ask them to get married with me, right? Married means, hey, here's a call to action, a clear call to action, buy my product or service. At first, I want you to get to like me. I want you to know me and I want you to trust me. And Mm -hmm. then you will buy from me. Right. Okay. So it's the same thing of why I, you know, right now I have, you know, I, I teach women. I, there's three different ways that I teach women. A, through my in-person workshops. B, through my Zoom online classes, mm-hmm. my group classes. And the third way is, is if let's say you want to meet me one-on-one, right? And I'll do a one-on-one client call or I'll come down and I'll meet with them one-on-one see where they work, you know, really get a feel for their business and give them actual strategic steps that they can, actionable steps that will grow their business very quickly. And, um, and through that, right, I could just say all day long, Hey, sign up for my course. Hey, sign up for my course. But that's not going to, that's not going to do anything that like, that's just build a relationship with them. Correct. Products tell stories sell. And so what I do is, is throughout my entire feed and throughout my entire stories, it's all about creating a real dynamic relationship and really hearing what these people need through my stories. I ask questions. I have polls. I have quizzes. I interact with them and I also inspire them in a lot of ways. Like today, you know, I took up running about, like, <laughs> and I say running and I'm laughing because I literally just like, you know, for three months, I literally walked around the pond for like, you know, but now I'm running two miles, right? So with wow. a metal, I have a metal um, piece in my leg, right? So I have a metal pole on one side and I have two pins on the other side. And um, I shattered wow. my ankle about like eight years ago. And I was told I would never run again. And I, and I used that as an excuse for so many years. Right. Um, and I have severe allergies. I have autoimmune disease. And I was told that if I get, I could inoculate myself, if I just expose myself to the trees as they're coming out and truth be known, no joke. I had very little allergies this year for the first time ever. Uh So what I do is, is I, I started running, right? But today I really didn't feel well. I woke up, I was having, um, 
I was having symptoms already last night. I knew that I was going to have an episode, um, and I knew that I wasn't going to feel well, but I got up anyways, and I got dressed, put on my running shoes, and I said to myself, if you get around the pond at least once, because I go three times, if I go once, I, it's a success. Okay. I wrote, and, I, and, I, and, and I'm telling you, while I was on that pond this morning, I got a message from somebody, and it said, thank you so much. I needed to hear this today. I, put on, I was already dressed. I got undressed put on my workout clothes and I'm going out and I'm going to go exercise because you inspired me. So it's, 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 it's that. Yeah, it's really engaging. Right. So, I mean, I, I guess one takeaway point that we, we, you know, we could think about is, uh, is in terms of building a brand. I mean, just one, one basic skill is, is that, is that kind of relationship engagement and, uh, and not, not simply, like you said, hawking your product or your workshop all the time. And that's the only thing that you post about, but, uh, but, you know, but something that builds a rapport and engagement and a back and forth conversation and something that takes, as you said, a significant investment of time and uh, an effort to, to do that right. and intentionality about it. Um, but so we, we just to like close the loop on something that, 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 we, that we talked about okay. before, <laughs> which was uh, w which was the, the, the first extra challenge that you mentioned that, that women entrepreneurs are facing was uh, that you suggested is a lack of, of either uh, knowledge or information about how to value themselves, how to uh, just how to, how to work in business. And uh, so I guess just real quick, what would you say is things that people should know if they want to educate themselves? To, I don't know, to be able to, you know, to, to, to fill in the gaps, to be able to do the things that they are missing. What's some, I guess, some of the major cliff notes or high points that they should be doing so the first thing that I think is the most important is, is that you have to get a mentor. You need to find somebody who's in your demographic or industry that is just a few steps ahead of you that will help you. Now, I'm not saying that that's easy because there are a lot of people who are not givers and they are afraid right. of competition. But you need to find somebody in your industry that is willing to mentor you <clears throat> because mentorship is the most important thing. Even if you have to pay that mentor, mm -hmm. it's, it's super valuable. What about a coach? Is that Co a coach is fine also, but right. you have to know I mean, you want someone from your industry. You're saying not just any, not just a general business coach. Right. So like, I always feel like there's always, you need to have somebody who you have that relationship with that you, that's just a couple steps ahead of you that just, you can bounce off ideas from. And if, even if you have to pay that person, do it. Um, you know, and it, once you, st and also, I also believe very strongly that you need to make relationships within your own circle at your own level, mm -hmm. um, that you, and even make a WhatsApp group or something that you all can stay accountable right. with each other. Okay, so that's just a given. What I've, do you mean stay accountable with each other, meaning with peers? You could say, hey, like, you know, let's say it's a group of bakers, but the baker, one is in the five towns, one's in Muncie and one's in Lakewood, and nobody is going to be stepping on each other's feet, but you're right. all basically selling the same type of items okay. for the same type of events, for the same, you know, it, it, and you're all selling the same kind of, kind of platters or whatever. And it's, it's, it's a, A, you can stay accountable with each other's goals that you might each ha have, but also it's a way of, you know, commiserating, oh, I had this story, what would you do? Or I had this type of customer, what would you suggest? Or it's just a way of like really just bouncing off ideas. I think people just need a community of, of, of other women that are in their same industry at their right. same level who are not competing, but like who are giving like a sisterhood. I think it's so valuable and so important. Well, you know, there's a lot of peer communities out there. You know, I mean, I know a lot of business owners are part of YPO, Young Professionals Organization, or Young Presidents Organization. I can't remember what it stands for. I'm not part of it, obviously. But uh, there's Entrepreneurs Organization, EO, 
Uh, I mean, there's Vistage. There's other, you know, there's a, a lot of different groups like that. We have actually alumni of the Tony Robbins Business Mastery Program I did in January. There's a bunch nice. of alumni that are getting together. I mean, it's from 2,500 people around the world, but, you know, there's, I don't know, dozens and dozens that are probably one or 200 that in the New York area. So there's a whole bunch of us get together like once a month now also and, and, and try to do that as well. But you so can, you know the value. Yeah, it, yeah, definitely. There's a, and I right, think so that there's entrepreneurship. A peer, so there's a peer group, a mentor. Those are two things you mentioned so far. I also think that women entrepreneurship in general is a lonely road because a lot of times we're in our house, we're with our children. You know, we don't have often that much time to go out and meet other people. And I think that having having that group together, it, it can be very comforting in a lot of ways. And I think women are social beings in general. Um, and I think it could be a very powerful. I think the other thing that I see over and over and over again is that women specifically think that as long as they have more eyeballs, they'll get more money, right? If more people can see my product or service, then I'm going to be able to sell more. And so they put all of their eggs into the Instagram basket uh -huh. and they don't understand the mechanics of how it works and they don't understand that the Instagram is literally just one small piece of a massive puzzle and so I think that the first thing that somebody needs to figure out is a their customer segments and b their value proposition because it needs to be completely it needs to be a, a, an absolute fit meaning what you're offering to your customers and who your customers are need to match that's where your that's where the magic happens right where right. what you offer somebody is exactly what they need and you're hitting their pain points and their external and their internal issues and and then they feel. And what's so how, how how do you suggest? Well, I mean, first, so this point in particular is is addressed by EOS, the management system I, I mentioned before. So they they have they have a piece in the the vision traction organizer where you really get clear on on who you are, where you want to go, and how you're going to get there. And one of those pieces is the is the um, is the what is your marketing plan? It's a very very high level entrepreneurial type of marketing plan. But essentially, asked the first question is what is your target market? Meaning, what's a psychographic demographic geographic you know profile for your ideal client and what are your three uniques like the three things that make you different and you're you're essentially trying to say what you, what you said before which is like what's your sweet spot like what you know where are your efforts going to go the furthest because you're targeting them to the right people with the message that as you said speaks to them but what what is from your experience what is a what is a way that is there some resource, a book? Is there a guide? Is there some framework that people could use? I mean, I just mentioned, like I said, EOS, but for solopreneurs, that's not going to work. So my, so my favorite book that I always recommend is, I think it's called Story Branding by Donald oh, yeah. Miller. Yeah, it yeah. is by far the best book. And every single time I tell people to buy it, it's like, I don't know, you get it on Amazon, you'll get it within two days, you read it over a weekend, and it's literally, it's not that big. It's eye-opening for so many women. I mean, you know, who I work with. Um, I personally use a uh, business strategizer. It's a, uh, you know, that's how I teach people um, specifically how to figure out their customer. What is, that? What is business strategizer? A business strategizer is, and, and I love it. It's how you basically create a business plan in one, it's called the business canvas. It's using nine different boxes. Um, maybe you want to, you can link it. Um, I can give you the, the okay. website and you can link it in the show notes, but it's called basically it's the business strategizer and within nine boxes, you can literally on one page, see your entire business plan and understanding what your costs, what your revenues are, who your key partners are, who your how, what are you, what are the things that you need to do for this business to work? What are the, the people that you need in order to make this business function? Um, what are the channels? How are you acquiring? What's your customer acquisition and your retention? It's just literally on one piece of paper, you can 
explain your entire business. And it's very um, eye-opening and very clear for a lot of my customers. I mean, my, uh, my students. I think a lot of times also people do not understand the actual product or which product they should market, right? They're like, if anyone could just see my products, then they'll, you know, sell. Right. So as an artist, I think very specifically with me, this is something that I had to learn. I'll give you an example. So I, one of my key magical things for me was that my stores, I was a wholesaler. I sold to stores all over the country, 90 accounts. I was the only Orthodox Jewish woman going to shows uh, all over the country, meaning the New York Now show, the Atlanta America's Mart, the Dallas show, the Vegas uh -huh. show. I was the only Orthodox Jewish woman in the tabletop industry being showcased at these places, okay? There were a lot of Hasidim, a lot of men, but nobody who was a woman. I used to go to these shows, and one of my biggest value propositions that I offered was that it was customized, meaning you could, if, if you wanted something custom, you'd have to find the factory in China who would make it for you and only for you, where I was getting the glass in massive bulk in cases, right? And and freight on a freight from China directly coming into my studio. And I, oh, you want purple flowers? Sure. You want red flowers? Sure. If you want hearts, no problem. Like anything they wanted, I would make for them. I literally worked for a store called Purplelicious and everything in that store was purple and they loved it because I could do anything for them, right? Right. Unfortunately, that was making me, not only was it making me nuts and crazy, but the stack of orders that I had, I'll give you an example. I would give something to somebody. It's the insane number of hours of work. Oh my God, it was it's insane. All you. It's it was all insane. You. My mentors Which actually gets to the next thing I wanted because we're going a little long here already. So sorry, I, I sorry. I want to get to no, no, not at all. But it's great. I would love to maybe get together another time. But um, but I but I want to what I want to try to get to before we finish is that kind of scalability of your business. So right. I feel so like that's, that's the what we're, we're yeah. Going. Well, that's what so, we're about to talk about. So you know, and and you know, with a special focus on you know how other people can think, you know, especially artists maybe, but or things like that. How can I turn that into a scalable business? But yes, you were going to say right. So. Basically, what happened was that I was working 16-hour days. I had four employees. Wow. Four employees. And that's even with four employees. With four employees. And um, what ended up happening was is that they just wanted the same things. I would give an order in on a Thursday, right? I would ship it to them so that they'd have it to sell on, on Sunday. Right. It would be sold out by Sunday. By Monday already, they were putting in a placing a new order. Wow. And I was just working my tuchus off, okay? My my my, my butt. My butt. I was, <laughs> I was working really hard. For those um, challenged individuals out there. And at the same time, I was bringing in so little. Like, it was just not worth my time. And wow. what I ended up doing, my mentors kept saying to me, Abby, you are not going to be able to scale this because everything is on you. And even if I had the people prepping and I had the people starting and I had everybody doing all the little things, so all I had to do was just the last part. Right. It, it was still reliant on me. At the end of the day, the designs were still reliant on me. So I challenged myself to say, okay, stop. Stop the horses. Let's figure this out. Let's scale this. If I'm going to actually scale this, I don't even know if it's scalable and I don't know if it's even worth it to scale. Let's create a design that Abby Wolin doesn't have to even touch. And everyone else can do. And I did it. And at the end of my challenge, which was three months, my profits were up 10% and I was working literally four hours a day. And I wasn't even touching the glass. So I knew that it was scalable. The only thing that I figured out about the whole thing, by the way. Now you got other artists to do, to just correct. do the same yeah, design I that you created? I, yeah. But what I realized, what I realized at the end of the day, and you're going to be like, what? <laughs> Is that I literally hate distributing and marketing. I mean, marketing I love. Sorry. I hated the manufacturing and the distribution. I just hated it. Okay. And I used to go home crying that I hated what I was doing, that I love designing. I love, love designing. I love right. marketing. But I hated the mechanics of the actual business part. And I thought to myself, hey, who could I, what 
company out there could I collaborate with that's doing the manufacturing and the distribution? And all I could do, all I have to do is just design the parts that you like, right? And so I found Waterdale, and they are a lucite company. And so I started, I did a collaboration with them, and thank God it's been really successful. I I then collaborated with a placemat company, Altoona, and I designed for them. They manufacture for me. That was the connection with my wife because she's doing a lot of their graphic design. Oh yeah. I think that's how we got introduced. That's so funny. Was through uh, Ilana Boxbaya, which is through Altoona, which my wife works. That's so there. interesting. Anyway, that's so funny. So so such a small world. Yeah. So um, that's what I do now is that I collaborate with. Other other people who are manufacturers and distributors and I design for them and I take home a royalty and it works for me because it just does. And that allows me, by the way, that frees me up to do what I love and what I'm passionate about, which is teaching. I get to teach women entrepreneurship. Right. And second of all, I get to stay in my house every day or not even every day or whenever I feel like it, I paint a piece. I put it at a price that I believe is the value or what it would, it just has to cost that. Meaning if I like those pictures the other day, there you go. Like those pictures, I cannot sell it for less than that price because this is what my hourly rate is. And this is the cost of the materials. This is my hourly rate. This is what it costs. So, and also by the way, when you take out the emotion, right? When there's no emotion here, these are, this is my hourly rate. This is what I'm valued at. These are my materials. This is what the item costs. That's it. And, right. and I think that what happens with a lot of women, which I was talking about before, is, is that they put in, like, their value is uh, an emotional response. They don't... So, so how do we... Right. So, so maybe, maybe we'll try to conclude this with this. But what's... So how do people... Because that is a major issue. And I, I, mean, I think it's something for men, too. But you're right. I mean, I, I've heard this from other people. I think Rachel Bider that we spoke to a few weeks ago, I think she said the same thing about undervaluing. Um, and... Uh, so what what method do you th- do you suggest people use to be able to properly value their work? So the first thing that you have to think about is and nobody thinks about this is how much would it cost for somebody else to do your job? Right? Nobody ever thinks about oh I I'm if not going to pay hire somebody to do this. Right, I'm not paying an employee, I'm doing it. Right. But then they don't even pay themselves what they would pay an employee. Right. So the first question is is how much would it cost for somebody to actually do the job that you want to do? Right, and right. then and then buy you buy the materials, buy to hire somebody locally, take out an ad. What are all my costs hourly? All that stuff. What would that be? Taxes. Right, and then all of a sudden they see, oh wow, that's that. Okay, so that's your baseline, and then you say, okay, and what is my pro- what? Yeah, but now the business owner's doing it. Now the main artist's the one doing it, not just an employee. So I got to charge more. So so it's interesting. It's it's one of these things that I actually. Um, this is how I've ever always gone through it, and. Uh, maybe it's the wrong way to do it, but this is, it's funny because Rachel well, Hollis. I know what works for you. I mean, that's the question. <laughs> so I'll tell you the first time that I ever, you know, Rachel Hollis, who's like a big motivational coach. I don't know if you know who she is, but she's, she's pretty big in the women's uh, motivational category. Rachel okay. Hollis is, um, she has these rise conventions. She has a book, two books, girl, wash your face and girl, stop apologizing. They're very motivational. Okay. Um, so she has a business coach. She has a business coaching, monthly business coach. Uh, session and I took the first class and the first class that she gave she talked exactly the way she taught the, exactly the way that I do it and this oh, is how I teach people okay so you can look at me like I'm nuts but this is Which it works is what, for me the thing you already said about how much would you pay somebody else no. plus okay besides what, that the besides thing? that yeah. that you put on the side it's like kind okay. of like in your pocket you're like thinking about that the minimum all right what I say to you is is how much money do you need to make how much money do you need to make so you say I need to make four thousand dollars a month 
Okay. Okay. And if I need to make $4,000 a month and I know that my profit on, let's say, a pitcher is $50, then I need to figure out how many pitchers that I need to make at the end of the month, right? So I go 4,000 divided by 50 and that's how many pitchers that I'm going to push out. Okay. And it goes back to our story, by the way. It goes back to the fact that how many eyeballs or how do I get the eyeballs to look at my stuff? Now I know based on what I need to sell, right? You're looking at all the values and you're looking at your profit margins and you say, okay, this is the one, the one that gives me the most money for my value. That's the one that I'm going to push out. Um, and I, and I, and I figure out my costs, you know, looking at the, what we talked about before, right? What, um, how much would I charge somebody else to do it? Adding your, adding your value to it. You say, listen, it doesn't make any sense for me. If I need to make $4,000 a month, I can't charge at $20. It has to be $40. Right. It just has to, because if I want to hit my profit goal, it's going to get there. Am I making sense? Yeah. Yeah. Meaning you have to figure out, look, at the end of the day, this is how much I need to make. And if I don't make this, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I can't, I can't. And right. I think that so many times women specifically, specifically women are not honest with how much they need to make every month. And if they were more honest with it, they would go for it. And that's just my opinion. Right. No, no, I hear it. It's, 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 it's great information. And I, I hope, I hope more people hear that. Uh, I certainly know, no, seriously, I, you know, I know people that, that, you know, that would benefit a lot from thinking about this. Um, actually I saw there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a very talented copywriter in Israel, Michal Izikowitz. She's great. Uh, yeah. So you've seen her stuff. So she recently did this copywriting course, although she, she actually told me I was emailing with her the other day and she told me that, uh, they actually have people who are not copywriters in other industries who are taking it just for the, just for the business, you know, just for the, how do you value your time and how do you value, you know, just the other pieces of growing the business besides the actual copywriting part. Um, and, uh, so this is, I mean, it's super valuable information that people, that people need to, that people need to know. Um, and, uh, I really would love to, I really would love to keep going longer. And there's other stuff I want to ask you about with the 30 day challenges and other I'm stuff. I'm so sorry. But well, no, no, it's good. It's amazing. It's very amazing, interesting stories. And I think from some of those examples and anecdotes, I think we could, you know, we could learn a lot because I think sometimes a, a story or like that comment that that guy made or. I can't believe or, I told you that. I've never told anyone that. It's well, amazing. I, I feel okay, I'm going to have to write like breaking news on the, on the social media. Seriously, I don't think I've interview. ever, I've never had such a raw like uh, podcast with anyone. And I've done a few podcasts before. Um, I don't think I've ever done one that's this raw. Okay. Well, I, I hopefully take that as a compliment. <laughs> that sounds good, I guess. I just hope I gave good value for people, and yeah. I hope that they can walk away with something. Yeah, definitely, definitely hope so, and I think that they will. And uh, you know, look, maybe in a few months we'll get together. We'll pick up the conversation a little bit more. Hopefully, uh, be raw again. And um, but uh, but yeah, really appreciate you coming out today. And you know, again, coming out in person, we did this interview, and. Um, Again, people can find out about Abby and, and all the things she's doing and her, her teaching and her information and her mentoring all through uh, at Abby Wallen, A-B-B-E-Y-W-O-L-I-N with one L. And uh, you can find her more information about her there. And uh, thank you very much for coming out. It's my pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thanks. See everybody on the other side. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.